from KQED. Hey everyone, I'm Emmanuel. I'm Kali. And I'm Jamidra. And we're the hosts of The Cooler, your weekly dose of pop culture commentary. Today, joining us from New York City through the magic of technology is Nancy Jo Sales, a contributing editor at Vanity Fair, a prolific writer on the subjects of pop culture icons and youth culture, and the author of a new book called American Girls, Social Media, and the Secret Lives of Teenagers. Welcome to The Cooler, Nancy Jo. Hi. Hi, thank you. So, Nancy Jo, American Girls, the book just came out. Would you mind, for those people who don't know what it's about or why they should read it, just kind of summing it up in a nutshell? Well, American Girls is about girls in America today and their experience of coming of age in the digital age when everything has migrated onto social media. It's about friendships, romance, sex, dating, everything that concerns them and how it all sort of plays out in this digital environment and how everything is kind of new because of the new technology. It is a serious read. I mean, I think a lot of people see the word social media and they think, oh, this is going to be fun. It's going to be a kind of a fun romp through the the way we live now and how technology affects it. And it's definitely looking at that subject, but it is serious in its intent about the effect that social media is having on teens, specifically girls. Is that something you you always intended to convey when, when you started out writing? Well, it's interesting because I have a brother who happens to be gay, and he and I were talking about this book and the reporting that I was coming back with and the things that the girls were experiencing. He said, you know, this this sounds so much like what we experience in the gay community, you know, this kind of pressure to have a kind of perfect image and, you know, the kind of hypersexualization of dating online and on social media. And yet he's a man in his 30s, and we were talking about girls who were in middle school. So he said, you know, your book is really about misogyny because so much of what I was hearing from girls involved things that I think we can only describe in that context. I, I was thinking a lot about sort of what it was like for me growing up in the 80s and the 90s Social media was television for me. My mother was worried that I would be exposed to things that were too grown or too adult for me. Do you feel like social media is sort of the reinvention of that, or do you think this is something new and even more troubling that we should be concerned about? Well, you know, I've been writing about teenagers for 20 years, a little more, actually. So I've seen this kind of evolve, you know. It's not like social media really invented anything. Technology is new, and the ways things are being expressed are new, and I think we do need to be worried about it. If you look at this 2007 report from the American Psychological Association, multiple, multiple studies that have been done on girls and sexualization, that it has adverse outcomes for their well-being, including cutting, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, cognitive dysfunction. That was one of the things that really struck me the most and made me the most troubled about, you know, in learning more about what sexualization does to girls. Cognitive dysfunction, meaning it's hard to think about anything else besides being hot when all you're thinking about is being hot. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of famous uh, study that was done, and it's mentioned in this report, where girls and boys were given a math test with their clothes on, and they scored what they scored, and then they gave them the same math test, uh, all wearing bathing suits, and the boys scored basically the same scores that they got before, but the girls' scores like plummeted significantly because of the way that our culture makes many girls so aware of their bodies and uncomfortable with their bodies and being looked at and being judged and so forth. So what I think you're seeing with social media is that all of these trends, which exist 
already, like your mom was worried about, Mm -hmm. what we know is that it does have adverse outcomes for girls. And yet so much of social media culture, I think, is sexualization. And it has a lot to do with selfies Mm -hmm. and with the pursuit of likes Mm -hmm. and friends and followers. You know, I started thinking about hot or not the original kind of social media side where you kind of judge. I talk in the book about how, you know, that's sort of the Rosetta Stone of social media and sexualization is hot or not. Now, somebody has since interviewed James Hong about it and he says, you know, uh, yeah, it's objectification, but men are objectified two to one on hot or not. Well, I mean, I think we can all safely agree that objectification of men is not the same and does not have the same level of outcome for them as for women or girls. Hot or not was the site where you saw a picture of a woman and you say, is she hot or is she not? What do I think of her, you know, as a sexual, her sexual allure and sort of a rating system. And that was 2000 that that came out. It was an enormously successful site. Then you see how this sort of plays out in Facebook and Instagram and Kim Kardashian. And it creates a lot of pressure to present this perfect hot self. It's a challenging thing when you're growing up have this pressure. So you mentioned hot or not, and I unfortunately can say that I posted my picture on there (laughs) in 2000. And it is a very weird war poll. They are rating not your hotness, but like how valid you are as a human being. And it's Mm -hmm. awful. And that does carry over to things like Instagram, where it's not always a picture of me, but I still feel like oh, I I didn't get 11 likes. It's still just the names and not the number. (laughs) And there's all these things that are at work. But for sure, for teen girls, it's just like on a different level. And we keep hearing words like cyberbullying. And we think we know what it is because we've been in middle schools and high schools ourselves. But things have changed completely. And you speak about how cyberbullying affects people not only emotionally, but also academically. They don't want to go to school because of this. And I learned while reading your book that there's this thing called slut pages. Can you please Mm. explain this horrifying term to us? I feel like I'm doing this (laughs) interview after interview about slut pages. And I understand why, because it's really, really shocking and horrible. And it happens everywhere. I mean, this is really a hallmark of social media culture right now for teenagers. It was at every single high school that I went to and middle school all over this country. And what it is, is a page where Someone, typically a boy, not always a boy, but typically a boy, will aggregate a number of nude or semi-nude pictures of girls, you know, some usually underage girls, and put them on a page either on Facebook or Instagram. And it's very unsettling because essentially you're looking at a porn site, amateur porn site of underage girls, and the girls hate it. They think it's terrible, but they don't really feel like there's anything they can do about it. And it's just something that sort of like is the swamp that they're swimming in now. It's crazy because while I was reading the book, the kind of the human reflex is always to kind of compare it with your own experience. And I was really kind of trying to cast my mind back to growing up in like quite a different culture in like rural England. And I thought, geez, like girls were slut shamed at my high school. They would absolutely be called out for for having sex. But of course, the trap was that if they didn't have sex, they were called out for being prudes. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I remember thinking that was heinous and really violating. But I mean, no one ever asked for a naked picture of me. That's the thing. I kind of look back and I think, did we all have lucky escapes? I mean, to have grown up in that particular period, will we will look back and see that as glory days? I think it's a whole other level. It's Again, these trends are not new. Misogyny is not new. But in this accelerated and intensified and heightened environment of social media where girls 
are living, they tell me. I live on social media and where there are no rules and guidelines for anyone, where barriers and boundaries are completely broken down and we have this kind of Wild West sort of environment that is highly sexualized because, you know, here we have girls who are just trying to figure out how to be, how to come of age in this world, you know, and it it really is, slut page really, it is a kind of slut shaming, you're exactly right, but it's so much more extreme because uh-huh. it's public, everyone can see it, and even if you're not that girl who winds up on that page, you know girls who do, or you know of them, or you're friends with someone, so there's this whole atmosphere of threat and of degradation that just seems to be normalized, this normalization of shaming and harassment that you see on social media is affecting the way that kids behave with each other, even offline too. Like in school, we have in this country a terrible, really, really unacknowledged, but very terrible uh, problem with sexual harassment in schools now. And, you know, this is 40 years or more after Title IX, which was supposed to address this and did very, very well. But it's now an increasing problem. There have been a lot of studies on it, you know, where kids are uh, making comments, uh, making, you know, groping gestures. And very often when it happens to girls, which it does more than boys, they don't feel like they have any recourse. They just say like, well, you know, that's just the way it is. They just do that to everybody. Uh-huh. That doesn't mean it doesn't affect them. It doesn't mean that they're okay with it. But, you know, some very small percentage of girls ever, when they're asked about it, say that they never tell that this is happening to them. I'm curious to know within your research, you've spent so much time with these young girls and these teens and these tweens, if um, you've seen any other influence beyond sort of the Kim Kardashians. I know Jennifer Lawrence stood up and talked a lot about her own nudes that were leaked. And she really sort of fought against the idea of being ashamed of them and made a case for the leakers and everyone who is actually looking at the photos that they should feel ashamed. And I'm wondering if that's had an impact or if you've seen that have an impact on the way girls are dealing with the idea of the normalization of sort of being slut-shamed. Girls that I spoke to are really excited about the kind of feminist activism that they've been able to engage in online. I saw a change, actually. I mean, I could see it. I heard it. And I talk about it in the book from girls I interviewed in 2013 to 2014, just in one year. I mean, this is talking about the good things that social media can do and the way that it can raise awareness. And it was amazing. I mean, I talked to girls in 2013 in Virginia, and I said um, they were talking about all these things that were happening to them. And I said, well, how do you think, you know, feminism could play a part in all this to maybe help you deal with this? And they said, what's feminism? Wow. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. That was not un- that was not uncommon. And I said, well, it's, you know, yada, yada. I tried to clumsily explain it to them. And then I, I used the word sexism. And they said, well, what's sexism? Is that when a boy acts like a girl? Hmm. And I just said, wow. OK, so education is not at the level that we would hope. And that's one thing I really call for in the book is that, you know, there's a line in the book, like girls need feminism as a critical tool to kind of, you know, examine and analyze what's going on with them and to be able to recognize that when somebody does shame them, you know, there's not to take it personally and to see it as a whole kind of, you know, systemic trend. But the Jennifer Lawrence thing, I think is really a really important example for people to look at when they do try and normalize nudes Because look at what happens. I mean, girls told me about sending news and thinking that they're sharing it with an intimate partner and that it will never be seen. But you can never know whether or not that will 
just end with that person, that right. it will just be viewed by that person. You can never, ever know, either because you break up, things happen. There's some, something called revenge porn, which happens even with kids. It's mm-hmm. not uncommon, actually. I heard so many stories of nudes being forwarded, shared, passed around. A lot of girls talked about having their lives ruined or seeing the lives of their friends ruined in these situations. So it would be great if we lived in a world where women were respected and girls were respected and weren't shamed, but they are so, you know, I think that that's something that girls have to think about in this situation, and they do, and they are. And yet there's enormous pressure. I mean, sometimes they're pressured into sending nudes. They're even threatened. I mean, I talked to girls who were asked for nudes and would be scared of consequences that they were told they would be met with if they didn't send them. That goes on, too. It's it's just stuff that none of us have ever had to deal with before as as children, So when looking forward to the future, the view looks pretty bleak when you read all of these stats. And you mentioned certain bright spots like the activism scene on social media and the resurgence of feminism and and the good that that's doing. But you've also said that Silicon Valley has responsibility to step in and try to change parts of this. Can you talk a little bit about how you think they can change the tide on this issue? Well, I think that the way the culture is on social media has everything to do with Silicon Valley and who's making these products and who's making these apps. I mean, they don't grow up out of the ground like an orange tree. You know, they're not like naturally occurring things. They're created in a culture that has been called sexist and has been called misogynistic. It's called a bro culture. There's lots of lawsuits involving sexual harassment. They have to change their own culture. They have to hire more women. They have to allow women to be more involved in the enormous profits that have been made. You know, this is a this is an industry that's, you know, created a lot of billionaires and women are not being allowed to share equally in those opportunities. And that's not fair. I mean, I don't think uh, hot or not would be the prevailing conceit on social media if if there was more input from from women. I just they've just got to take more responsibility. I mean, these are children, you know, it's children and teenagers. It's like, this is going to affect the people that are going to grow up in this world right now. You know, it's not just in America, it's all over the world. They tend to wait till, you know, things happen, like something bad happens, like Kick Messenger is an anonymous site with it that has had a lot of problems with Mm. underage girls hooking up with older guys. And when something horrible and tragic happens, they will, they say, well, we're cooperating with the police and uh, let's be more proactive. I know that you've been writing about teenagers for the best part of 20 years. You've kind of had a front row seat to the kind of evolution of teens and teenage behavior for quite a long time. And I just wondered, since you spoke to over 200 teenagers to to write this book, American Girls, what do you think they thought of you? Like, do you feel that they could relate to you? Or did you have this sneaking suspicion that they were viewing you like a visitor from another planet? I often get this question, like, how do you talk to them? How do you get them to open up? And it's funny because I understand why you ask the question, but at the same time, it's not a question that they ask of reporters who interview, say, Syrian refugees or, you know, it, it seems to be particularly of interest in the, in, the, in the realm of teenagers because I think people have an idea that teenagers are almost like aliens, like they're <laughs> some kind of... Alien beings that, you know, speak a different language and they're, they seem so impenetrable and they don't seem to like adults very much and, you know, they're this and they're that. And I, I just think sometimes these things are a little based in truth. I mean, they are in a different biological state than we are literally, but at the same time, they're just people and they're just going through a whole lot of things. And they are defining themselves against adult culture, but at the same time, 
they really want to talk about stuff, like especially about social media. I just found sometimes it would be like, like they couldn't stop talking. I went down to West Palm Beach where my stepmother lives, and we went to the Boca Raton Mall because she needed something. And I'm looking around, and there's like a lot of teenage girls in the Boca Raton Mall on a Saturday afternoon. I'm doing this book, right? So I said, you know, do you mind sitting here on this couch for a little bit and let me just like roam around and talk to some girls because there's some interesting you know, girls in here. I want to talk to them. She said, sure. So she sat down and drank a cup of coffee and she's like a hundred feet away from me or something. So I, I said to these girls, can I talk to you? And I sat down with them, talked for like, you know, a while. And then I came back to my stepmother and I said, that was really hard to listen to. They just, they're going through so much. And it was a lot about slut pages and it was about girls being slut shamed and just terrible, terrible things that they're going through. And my stepmother kind of looked at me like, that's what you were talking about? And I said, yeah. She said, you just sat with them just right there. And they started telling you all that. And I said, well, yeah. And she said, well, how? (laughs) To me, it's just talking to interesting people about their lives. And also, you know, from talking to so many of them, I kind of know what to ask because I know like a lot of the issues. So yeah, I'm always so fascinated when, you know, teens do appear and are allowed to speak in their own words as, as you give them the opportunity to do in the book. It's it's fascinating because we're, we're intrigued and compelled, but we are a little bit removed at that same time. Well, you know, I came to this subject matter by accident. I was working at New York Magazine, and an editor there asked me to do a story on, quote-unquote, rich kids. Editors love stories about rich kids. And this is actually something I talk about in the Bling Ring book, about the problem I have with that, about this excessive interest that we have on wealth and the culture of wealth and everything. But I was sort of grousing, like, oh, I'm the girl, so they're sending me to talk to kids, you know. So, <laughs> but, uh, right. but anyway, actually, it was just like the best thing that ever happened to me because I kind of found my thing, not only that I can do, but also that I find very interesting because when I went and started talking to them, I didn't bring back the story that he was expecting at all. He wanted me to bring back a story that kind of was like movie Metropolitan or something, you know, where they're all like sitting around like talking like about Catcher in the Rye or something. It just yeah. wasn't like that <laughs> at all. It wasn't like that at all. What it was like was it was the 90s. It was hip hop. It was gangster rap. And there was this really interesting mashup of culture going on where rich kids and poor kids were finding opportunities together to sell weed. And so I I, um, sort of went from there. And um, I think that I never sort of forgot what it feels like to be a teenager. And I think it has something to do also with the themes in this book about sexism and misogyny, because a lot of my awareness about those things go back to this moment coming of age when you first start to realize that you are being treated differently because you're a girl. There are different expectations of you because you're a girl. I'm still very connected to those feelings of surprise and sort of um, sometimes amusement. Like, oh, really? That's what you think? Huh? That's stupid. Even outrage and sometimes anger? Like, no, that's not fair at all. So I think that my sense of what it is to be a girl at that moment is kind of fresh for some reason. I guess whatever feeling I'm giving them is that I understand because I remember, Hmm. you know, and I don't remember a whole lot anymore because I'm, you know, I'm getting to be like one of those dogs that is like blind and deaf and like bumps into the wall. But I do remember, remember, like I have to wear glasses to read and all this stuff starts to happen to you when you get old. But I do remember that. I do remember being like, no, it's not fair. Everyone wants to be heard. And the fact that you're asking teens who aren't asked the right questions by their parents or by authority figures, that's why they're opening up. And it's so great that you're able to tell their stories in this book. 
I would be remiss not to ask this question. I'm so sorry. But <laughs> you mentioned the suspects wore Louboutins, which was adapted into the bling ring. And it centered on this girl called Alexis Nyers, who allegedly broke into celebrity homes and stole things. And she didn't allegedly break oh, into celebrity homes okay. and stole Set me things. straight. She pled guilty to burglary and served okay. time for it. So it's not allegedly at all. Yeah, I was just covering my own butt because I wasn't <laughs> sure if she was ever tried or what happened there. Okay, so famously on her reality show, she was trying to record this voicemail to you, so impassioned telling you that you lied and that she was misrepresented and lied and misrepresented about her shoes. Right. That's the best part. <laughs> There's many things that I read in here that were false. Like you saying that I wore six inch Louboutin heels to court with my tweed skirt when I wore four inch little brown BB shoes. $29. Every time you it is this pop culture moment and something that a lot of people remember just because of the farce of re-recording this voicemail over and over. So when you received that voicemail, like what went through your head? And do you often get impassioned rebuttals to your reporting from <laughs> subjects? I wrote about um, that reality show in The Bling Ring because I felt no matter what Alexis has ever said or however upset she has ever been about that piece, you know, I felt she was exploited by that reality show. Like, if you look at Pretty Wild, it's like every single episode they seem to find a way to have the girls taking their tops off or, you know, and all these things are scripted. And I was on the set of that show and I saw how it was scripted. They, the producers stand there with an actual script. Wow. So here's these teenage girls and they're always finding a way for them to be in a fashion show or be in a model shoot or take their top off or, you know, go to the beach or – you know, showing off their bodies in a way that was you know, clearly designed to sexualize them. And their mom as well. I felt that the show was sexist. And um, a lot of reality TV is sexist. A lot of it's about fighting and cat fighting and sometimes physical fighting and backstabbing and just terrible, terrible, terrible stereotypes of girls and women. So I sympathize with Alexis. And I'm sorry that it upset her that somebody wrote a true article about what she did. I mean, she later pled guilty to burglary, so I don't think that the article was wrong in any way. But I really sympathize with her of being a girl in that moment in our culture and coming of age in a culture where what were the things that all of the bling ring kids felt, and who were mostly girls, felt was important? All the things that they're told by TV and advertising and music videos. And it's enormous pressure. And I think that she has spoken pretty openly about her drug addiction at the time and how she was struggling with all sorts of substance abuse and everything. So I felt really bad for her. And I'm really happy to see that she is doing so much better. And just to close out by talking about another young person behaving badly... I should mention that in a previous episode of The Cooler, we did discuss your 1996 profile, Leo, Prince of the City, talking oh, yeah. all about the young Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio roaming across Manhattan and generally just getting into <laughs> scrapes and causing mischief. Yeah. And I have to ask, since we've just had the Oscars, what was it like seeing Leonardo DiCaprio getting up there now as this kind of... He's getting towards like elder statesman figure now. How did you feel seeing him get up there and collect that best actor Oscar? I've been so impressed by him lately. We're all 
beside ourselves worried about what's going on with the environment. And we ha- we're in this unprecedented moment when the polar caps are melting. And it's just terrifying. The big corporations and the polluters seem to have so much of a sway over what happens. And it's just it's just terrifying. And so he's been really raising his voice about that. And he did so in his Oscar speech, too. I think it's great the way he's evolved and the things that he's doing with his celebrity to make a difference. And especially, I'm a real big fan of the big cats. I just have this deep affection for tigers and lions and jaguars and <laughs> Who these beautiful knew? things. The, these beautiful, beautiful creatures that roam the earth and are, are in such danger. And he's been, he donated, I don't know the exact figure, but he donated millions and millions of dollars to save tigers, which thank you, Leonardo DiCaprio. He's okay in my book. Yeah. Those troubled young people, they, they tend to grow up, right? Yeah, there you go. Well, we hope that they do. We need we a follow-up article. <laughs> I actually have a question that's a little personal for you. Go ahead. So I know that you, based on some interviews that I've read, I know that you feel like feminism needs to have more than a moment. And you were actually quoted as saying, in the modern era, sexism hasn't disappeared, despite many gains for women in education and in the workplace. So I'm wondering, you talked about having those feelings and remembering those feelings as a teenager. Now as an adult, are you confronted with those feelings now? And can you talk a little bit about what you do to push through? Um, well, I mean, I'm I'm a woman mm-hmm. in this culture. So, yeah, I mean, I've been cyberbullied. To be a woman in this culture with any online presence is to be almost universally to be harassed or, or degraded in some way or to be met with images that are harassing or degrading. And that's that's online and social media culture now, which we have to change. But I think it's different to experience it when you're in your 50s like I am than when mm-hmm. you're 15 and when you might not have any grounding in what this means or where it's coming from or how I'm supposed to feel about it. Whoa, I'm a girl too. Does that mean that that's how I'm supposed to be treated? You know, I've been really holding myself back from contacting Donald Trump who I knew in the 90s and I wrote a piece about him for Vibe magazine that's a disconnect was about about how he used to hang out with rappers that was where stuff was happening that was where culture was popping off in the world of hip hop Donald Trump has been mentioned in many a rap song Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it was about. That's right. As like and the pinnacle of wealth a, and achievement. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And there was even a word in hip hop back then, Trump, which meant like expensive, good, you mm-hmm. know, luxury. That sh- is Trump. You yeah. Know? So yeah. Like, it's been really interesting to like, watch this evolution. Yeah. So I've been so perplexed because this is not the person that I knew because after the piece came out, I mean, I mercilessly teased him, right? And just (laughs) made fun of him. But he took it all in such good stride. (laughs) Like Russell Simmons was a a friend at that time. I mean, we all sort of knew each other Mm because, you know, I was just the reporter. I'm not one of them, but, you know, I'll be in the same place, right? And so we called up Russell, when I was doing the story on Donald Trump, we called up Russell on the phone and he started snapping on Donald and saying like, yeah, we told Donald he was the illest man on earth. And he said, do I need to go to the doctor? You know, he's just like making fun of him and stuff. And so he was just this nice and very weird friendship that I had. Right. I didn't know what his political leanings really were at that time. It was he was just like a big billionaire that I wrote, you know, store or millionaire or whatever that I wrote a story on and would run into in nightlife and Moomba or something. So cut to now, and I don't recognize this person at all. I don't see him as the same person. And it's very perplexing. When he has been attacking women uh, like Megyn Kelly, or there was another reporter that he attacked, and he says these very, very uh, degrading things. 
I don't want to get involved, you know, and get in some Twitter war with Donald Trump. That would like that's oh. I got enough problems. You know what I mean? But I really just want to say to him, like, come on, just try and think about what that's doing to girls. For one thing, try and think about how that affects the lives of girls in this country to see that someone like you who's running for president and who is a grown up man and, and powerful can speak to a woman like that. Think about that, what, what that does to the average American girl in this country to see you do that. And it's exactly some of the stuff that he said to Megyn Kelly is exactly what I saw 13-year-old boys say to girls in a Dunkin' Donuts in Montclair, New Jersey. These girls were sort of calling out these boys about saying sexist stuff. And one of the boys said, what are you on your period? Which is something girls have had to mm-hmm. hear forever. You and know, the age-old like, insult. Right. There are just these situations where your jaw just drops like, why do these boys think that this is okay? And I'm not blaming boys. I'm not bashing boys. They think it's okay. And they're, they're getting these attitudes and this behavior from our culture, from media, from television, from uh, comedians who tell rape jokes, from uh, social media memes that talk about, you know, make fun of uh, domestic violence, from Donald Trump, from all of these things. These are all affecting the way that they grow up to be men and, and treat women. So I think that, you know, this book is not just for girls and moms. It's for men and sons, mm-hmm. too. I mean, I think that we've all got to sort of like take a, an accounting. Well, we're so glad that you wrote the book. And there is a lot of work to do. And I feel like this book pushes us towards a idealistic, <laughs> progressive place that I like to believe is out there somewhere. One day. We're just a notch closer. You can closer. change culture. <laughs> I mean, you, you can change culture. Look at Black Lives Matter, which was started, by the way, by three young black women on social media. Mm-hmm. You can change culture and you can even change it through social media. It's not an immutable thing. And we can change it and we will change it. Yes. It's a rally. We will cry. change. <laughs> you have my vote, Nancy Joe. <laughs> being on this podcast is part of it. So yes. <laughs> you're just on the campaign trail. Well, there thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. I love you guys. That's it for us this week. If you miss us, find us on social media at KQBD Pop. Bye. Bye. Bye.